if you don't try with fidelity, then you don't know. Today, I'm sharing another conversation with Isaac Roth. In it, we look at the state of the world as I am seeing it in August 2020, which was, at the time, admittedly, a little grim. Incidentally, this was a couple months before we knew things would actually get worse with wildfires in California and Oregon. In the case of Oregon, I couldn't go outside for a solid week or more. And in the case of Isaac, which I shared in the last episode, which was a few months later in October 2020, he almost lost his house in the wildfires in California. So in this conversation, Isaac helps dig into what I'm seeing in the world and experiencing, which wasn't very positive. He helps weave these things into his past experiences in startups and our time at Red Hat working on OpenShift. For those of you that think I've got life all figured out because of the personal work I've done or my work as a coach, you'll hear pretty early on that I struggle just like everyone else. And in fact, that adds an additional level of frustration and tension that we talk about as well. I love Isaac's calming presence, wisdom, and optimism, and he does a great job delving into what I'm thinking about and looking for constructive ways to turn it around. Here we go. What do you think is interesting in the world right now? What a dumpster fire. I feel like, I feel like it's just a big dumpster fire. What makes you say that? Like dumpster fire. COVID. Uh, the elections. So there's a lot of worry. Yeah. Well, you're, yeah. <laughs> We're, yeah. Uh, uncertainty. It just feels, I guess my sense right now is, and I have to, I have to like actively manage this because I do believe I have a choice. But yeah, just my overall feeling of, of the world is just so COVID at least in the United States, feels uncertain slash not under control, not well-managed, at least on a national level. The whole uh, race, riots, discussions, peaceful protests, whatever you want to call them, like we're on day 60-something here in Portland with no end in sight, and... I guess if my feelings around that are conflicted. Uh, more uncertainty, like how is it going to end? Like how many times can we try to light the courthouse or the police station on fire before we decide that this isn't okay and we like do something, really do something about it? And and I guess to bring it full circle, it's the current administration's approach to all these things, which feels like just printing money and throwing money at the problem and we're all going to have to pay for this somehow, some way, someday, I think. There's instability in your town, and you're worried about the future instability or debt or issues because of, of the economic policy. Yeah, and I'm also wanting to remain positive because that's what I'm all about. Like, I'm all about helping people create a better future so i think i'm also feeling convicted on a personal level of i don't have integrity 
if I'm not like living what I say that I'm doing and what I help people with. So I'm having some internal conflict there too of like, man, this, this situation looks totally hopeless. And yet I talk to people all the time where they're like, this situation is totally hopeless. And I'm like, well, do you want to live there? Or do you want to live somewhere else? <laughs> uh-huh. So you need a bit of your own medicine right now. Yes. <laughs> Which is why I have my own coach. So we've, we've, you know, ongoing work in process. But this is, um, you know, there's something about this in the entrepreneurial journey as well. Uh, holding uncertainty while being super positive. You know, really? Part of our job is to be team leaders, motivators. Uh, people often joined a project because of the personality or the person or just, you know, you're sort of the figurehead for the vision. Hey, we're going to build this cloud platform for <laughs> applications, right? And everyone's like, well, okay, if you believe in it, you know, I kind of believe in it, but I don't really know, but... Uh, you know, you seem really passionate about this. I think, I think you can help us get there. And so, the the founders, the leaders' enthusiasm is important for the team. And of course, another thing is that it's just more pleasant to work with people that are positive. And you know, if the person sitting next to you is like, "I'm excited about this. I think this is going to work." Versus if the person sitting next to you is like saying every day, I did my code commit, but this project's never going to work. <laughs> right, right. I'm worried about how this is going to go. We, we need a lot of positivity and optimism. And that starts with the founder. It starts with the leaders. And so how do you maintain that positivity when you have doubts yourself? <laughs> Ooh. So did you have doubts with OpenShift? Of course. Like how bad? Like what? Like on your worst day, what was your worst doubt? That no one would use it. On that was that was like the recurring nightmare. Was hey, we're gonna do all this work, and even even when we started having initial users, they were building non-serious applications, of course, because that you always test a new thing with something easy. And and so I, I worried like nobody would nobody's gonna trust this with an actual mission critical application. We're all just kind of fantasizing together about how things could be. <laughs> hmm. That was my worst fear. And what would you do in those moments? Um, you know, <laughs> it's funny you said to go for a walk earlier. I, uh, I would, what would I do in those moments? I mean, I think in the, in the moment, like, let's say you're having a moment of, I, I, I was having a moment of, of concern, like between meetings or something, or, or somebody would bring something up and I'd look at it, you know, not from a, enthusiastic would say what I have to say to get through this, but I would actually take a moment to be critical and really look at it and think like, yeah, this might not work. Like what this person's saying. Yeah. Like this whole idea might just be wrong. Um, a really hilarious one to reflect upon is that Scott and I were quite concerned when we renamed it. 
and we chose the final name that that it would become known as Open Shit. <laughs> that was that was one of our competitors' favorite refrains. Vocal <laughs> 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 nameless. We were really concerned about that, and it's easy to brush off, like. No, that'll never happen. And well, oh, let's just stay positive and believe, and then we can control our own destiny. But um, I, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, yeah, I guess that's not a good example. I think we were concerned that I, I know my my concerns were just yeah, nobody would use it. And, or they would use it, but they wouldn't, it would be like a toy and they wouldn't actually do anything important with it. Um, and there's no way to counteract that rationally because that's a real possibility. Like it, it was very possible that no one would use it and, or some other thing would become more, the need was real, but some other thing would be a better way to solve that problem. And so I guess there was a lot of just having faith. You asked, what did you do in those moments? I, I don't think I had any like self-talk mantra. I, I guess, yeah, I do. I do have a little self-talk mantra about this, which is if you don't try with fidelity, then you don't know. Oh, that's beautiful. The point there. And, and we, I applied that to like our marketing campaigns, to our feature development, to our product management decisions, you know, what would be the best feature? That, that's a really interesting area because you look at a product that, at least in the, in the initial days, it had very little traction, right? It's like, oh, wow, we have 24 apps on this and they're mostly like kind of friends and people we cajoled in a meetup into using it. And so now we're going to plan the next sprint and so we're we're using input that we have from potential customer interviews, not real customers. There are no real customers, right? We're using information we have from potential customers. We've gone and talked to a bunch of big companies that have said, yeah, I'd like to use something like this. And we've said, well, if you were going to use something like this, would it need to have you know, integration with SSO or something, right? And they'd say, yeah, of course it needs that. And so... This is all hypothetical. It's not real, like, I need this now. I'm going to pay for this right now. We had a few things that were like that. And we had a lot of things that where we were forecasting. And so it was very easy in that to just sort of not do a good job. Like, look, whether we put this in this sprint or the next sprint, it doesn't really matter. Like, we don't have to do a great job on getting this precisely in the correct order, which in my opinion is the job of the product manager is not just to get it generally in the right order, but at every moment, at, at least at every sprint plan to have the backlog in precisely the right order of exactly what is more important than everything else. Um, not because it actually matters because often you run three or four sprints before a so-called release, but it's about building that discipline that you are constantly making the trade-off. And I work my life this way too. <laughs> mm. <laughs> is that, you know, what are you spending your time on right now? Is that the most important thing? 
Um, how does that fit into a framework of how you should spend your time? And, or if you're spending your money, is that the most important thing? Is that the highest leverage thing you can spend your money on? Um, how does that fit into a framework or a budget or an investment plan of how you should spend your money or time? And that discipline of constantly refining how you allocate your resources, I think that is a core product management job. It's, it's also a core CEO job. And it's a real strong practice that I have. It drives my wife nuts. <laughs> why can't we just do something, you know, why can't you just make a decision that's just off the cuff? You know? <laughs> really? You're not a, I think of you as a total off the cuff person. It's all, it's very calculated, but you know, what I've learned is to also reserve, right? So I have like a bucket of time and money and, attention that's just meant for serendipity meant for like last night i had a plan of a few projects i was going to finish and i had the time and that time started and then my daughter came in and said i want you to read me a book and she hardly ever asks me to read her a book at that time um and because she usually doesn't want to read before it's bedtime and I thought, oh, she's asking me to read a book. Let's let's do this. And so I like pulled out a little bit of that serendipity budget and switched it <laughs> in the backlog for my project. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of I, I kind of budget like it's important to make time and money for things you didn't think of, things you didn't plan on. Um, so what other things are in your backlog? Mine, I mean, my backlog, my at least my present moment backlog was full of doom and gloom what's what's in yours <laughs> well hold on let me finish this thought about fidelity if you don't try with fidelity then you don't know so the thing is to do the best job you can at every moment because let's say openshift had not gotten a lot of good use a lot of usage or it had not no one had done anything important with it if we'd done a sloppy job creating it when we got that data that, okay, it's been nine months and no one's done anything useful with it, what we wouldn't know in that moment is, did nobody do anything useful with it, with it because it's genuinely not a good concept? Or this is the wrong time in the market? Or this isn't the kind of thing people needed? Or did nobody do anything genuinely useful with it because we didn't deliver a good version of this concept? Or we didn't let people know, we didn't, we didn't let the right people know that this concept existed, the ones who were looking for something like this. Or when they found out about it, we didn't help people get onto this platform in a way that they could feel comfortable with. And so they said, oh, it's not worth the risk of trying something new. So if we didn't have, we didn't execute with great fidelity, the problem is you don't know whether it was a good idea or whether you just did a bad job. And, I, and I, you can bring that into all parts of your life, but one that's really fun, I think, is, is dating, right? I have many friends that are trying to find partners to, to spend some time and maybe build families with. And it's really easy to sort of slack off on a paying attention to that and, and like, ah, well, I'm just going to be flippant about how I treat this person or how I consider this opportunity to get someone, get to know someone. But if that's genuinely a goal, 
the trouble is when that didn't work out and people are very, very fond, my friends are very fond of complaining about how their relationships didn't work out. I wonder, did it not work out because it wasn't the right person or because you didn't show up with the full fidelity of yourself to that relationship? Now, sometimes because of our subconscious, we don't show up with our full fidelity to projects and that's because it's not really what we want to do. And that's a good, that's good, right? Like, but, but it, it's important not to confuse the data. Yes. Did that not work out because you actually didn't really want that and therefore didn't put your heart into it and therefore it fell apart? Or did that not work out because it actually wasn't a good idea or wasn't a good match? Right. And it happens in startups too. Like sometimes it's a good idea, but it's not actually the right idea for you. <laughs> and once you get into it and you realize what it takes to do that thing, you're like, ah, this isn't really, and you don't really put your heart into it and it doesn't work out. And that's good because it wasn't the right project for you. You need the combination of the person, the project and the market. Well, doesn't it become kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy? Definitely. Eh, I don't think this thing's going to work. Eh, yeah, it didn't work. Look. And sometimes it can work the other way where, a project needs someone to just make it work to really apply themselves to causing it to happen. But often there's something that wants to kind of happen in the world and it just needs a team to really go at it with a good, a good product and good execution and, and people will come around to that. So when we were in the midst of OpenShift, and I was worried in those moments or I was having a critical consideration. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, Margaret's right. This might actually fall flat. <laughs> and I'd think, how do I hold that and still go back to the team in the next room and get really excited about the thing we're going to build tomorrow? I thought, well, the reason to be excited is because it might work. And we won't know if, unless we try the hardest we can. Hmm. <laughs> There's a counterpoint to this that that speaks to what we were talking about a minute ago. Sometimes people say that you shouldn't like sometimes people say like starting a startup is like pushing a rock uphill. And there's moments when maybe you shouldn't push so hard because maybe the startup is continuing to exist basically on just your effort and momentum. And often I think that's the case. The startup is continuing to exist on just your effort and momentum combined with all the resources that you're able to muster. You know, it's not solely your effort, but it would not work without your effort because that's an integral part. And then you have this question, like, does this thing exist only because I'm pushing a rock uphill or does it actually have momentum on its own? I think the answer often is both. It has a little momentum on its own, but it requires your your attention and your your effort. So in that moment, are you making something unnatural? Like are you causing something to happen that's that doesn't really want to happen? I, I don't how do you answer that question? And is it wrong? Should you should you step back and allow something to happen and and become part of it? Or should you really, really push, push, push? Well, 
what's the difference? I want to say wisdom. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's like the. I think that's like the magic, right? Is treading in that moment of. Am I fulfilling fate here, or am I creating fate? And it's probably both, and you don't really know which one. Well, what comes to me is there's there's a. At a certain point, you just physically can't keep pushing that boulder up the hill either. There's burnout. There's, I've done everything I can do. This thing that, I mean, at a certain point, I don't know how the metaphor works here, but at a certain point, it becomes more than you pushing that boulder up the hill and you get some momentum so that you can take breaks from the boulder. And maybe in other situations, you are the only one pushing the boulder up the hill. And if you stop, it's going to roll right back over you and it's all over. Yeah. And it's hard to know when those moments are. There's, there's magic in this. I think this is the thing you get to have in a more severe way as a founder, as a, as a startup leader than, than you do at a big company or when you're not so responsible for deciding how much resource is going to be allocated to something. So it's a little more life and death. The boulder is real. It really is going to roll back on you if you don't do something. Yeah. Or you, or just that, that moment of like, does this boulder have any momentum if I stop pushing it or is it me pushing it that's and and you don't know unless you stop pushing it which you don't want to do um because like you said it might roll back on you well there's another dimension that i wonder if the metaphor can handle <laughs> which is what if as you're pushing the boulder maybe the boulder at certain places the terrain is level yes and sometimes it's down and sometimes it's up but if it's straight up all the time that's not sustainable. That's not sustainable. What we hope to do is sort of push the boulder and then recruit other people to help us push the boulder. And then we have sort of a cheering squad, which is our customers in the market that are like, yeah, we want you to push that boulder. <laughs> and Keep so pushing. there's just, yeah, like there, there continues to be energy and encouragement. And we keep pushing and we keep pushing. And at some point, the metaphorical hill starts to flatten out and maybe even becomes a downhill. Or maybe we just have a big team helping. But but most people talk about this metaphor as like there's kind of a crest and then it becomes a little easier and it starts to snowball on its own where there's real momentum behind a product concept and a need for it. That is the idealized version, but very often it's not like a linear mountain with a crest and then a downhill on the other side. There's kind of uh, peaks and valleys, ups and downs, gentle grades in both directions. And, you know, calibrating how much effort you apply and who you recruit. I mean, you want to have a lot of cheerleading when you're, pushing up the hill, but 
people often want to cheerlead when they see the boulder rolling down the hill. (laughs) 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 It's, uh, you know, and you think about yourself at a sports game when there's a tough play, it's hard to remember to stand up and cheer when there's momentum and a lot of, and people are scoring, then it's easy to remember and you get swept up in the wave of excitement and startups are the same. When, when things are good, everybody's swept up and they're helping and it's, they're excited and it feels great. And when you have a lot of effort to apply, it's hard for everyone around you to remember, like, this is the time when actually we need a lot of cheering. Mm. <laughs> I think it's the job of those closest to the founders and the business to to be the cheerleaders in those tougher moments. And that often happens in more private settings. But like the board, the advisors, uh, the executives, the family members, they need to cheer when you're pushing uphill. And they can step back a little when you're rolling downhill because everybody else is going to cheer at that moment. I'm not sure where else to take our boulder. No, me neither. I, I, I switched. Um, I was just. I was enjoying a pregnant pause. Yeah. No, I like our silence. I'm totally comfortable with it. Uh, I was thinking about your previous. I was thinking about. Okay, yeah. What am I thinking about lately? And um, it's back to the conversation we were just having about your anxiety. That's too trite of a word to put on that feeling you were. Well, no, it's funny. I don't think of it as anxiety. I think of it more as a just like, I want to be hopeful. I'd like to think I could contribute to making it better in some way. And yet it's just this big question mark. It's such a great thing that you brought up. How do you be hopeful at a time when it is so uncertain? You know, are schools going to be open? Is the courthouse going to burn? What's going to happen in the election? There's many questions that seem important. And how do you stay? And most people, I think, do want to stay hopeful. Um, Something I just noticed, I just want to say out loud is, I think what I noticed in myself as you were talking was, there's this urge that I just want it to all be okay. Which isn't realistic. That's the anxiety, right? I want it to yeah, be okay. So. I want it to go back to normal. We may not even need normal. We just want it to be okay. We want to know that we're going to be okay. And there's health risk. There's financial risk. There's community risk. We can't connect with people the way we want to or the way we're used to. I want to know that it's going to be okay. I guess the thing that I've been thinking about is in the face of that, which is lovely phrased the way you did. It's, it's nicely phrased the way you did. I just want to know that things are going to be okay. In the face of that, what does the world need? Uh, it might be an attitude. It might be a product. It might be a story. That is such a fantastic question. It gave me a shiver all over. And what can we do? You know, like, 
what can, and maybe this conversation we were having about pushing rocks uphill is, is apt right now. Um, that, that hill is, that hill is the uncertainty, right? I just want to know, I want to be able to see the end of this hill. I want to know that this is going to be okay. What do we need? We need people who are good at pushing rocks up hills to inspire the rest of us. Hey, if that person can push the rock up the hill, so can I. Or I can join them and I can push a rock uphill with someone. So maybe this is a moment when we do really need entrepreneurs and the skills that they have of being incredibly optimistic. <laughs> hmm. Right? If we all want to know that it's just going to be okay, the folks that are always optimistic and think they can create okay, I think they can create wonderful, wonderful, incredible things from nothing. Uh, this is maybe a time for entrepreneurs to step up and and share a little more of their journey so that other people can see what it looks like to create and to be okay when the odds are stacked against you. I mean, let's face it, when you're trying to start a business, chances are it's not going to make it. Chances are you're going to lose your job, you're going to lay off your employees, your customers are going to be disappointed in you. Those are the statistics. Most of these businesses don't make it. But we all go at it anyway because we believe that we can succeed. And that belief, that faith, that it's going to be okay, that's what we need in the world a little bit right now. One, what I'm, what's also striking me is you mentioned this word fidelity, which I don't... I typically think of the word integrity, but I like the word fidelity. There's something about that word I like too. And I think that's, I think that's another like underlying cause of my feelings of uncertainty is, um, it, it feels like there's an increasing sense of like, what is the truth? Will, um, you know, will, I don't know. I don't know what to believe anymore in terms of the yeah, news. Yeah, you don't know, right? But it's like, how does but this it's like, virus but like, spread? will how? Yeah, and are the numbers Can going go up or are they going or down? Are we taking? Is is the federal government's approach to it? Does it have integrity? Right. Like we're going to pay what that drug company Moderna or whatever it's called the one and a half billion dollars for a vaccine? Will the vaccine work? Will the vaccine work? Um, will the stores reopen? Will the, will we ever go to a restaurant again? How how many shares does the president have in that company? <laughs> like I'm just like, are we all the... being manipulated by a foreign entity? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot yeah. of things to question and be uncertain about. Yeah, and so the story I tell myself is that if it was if. If things are being done with integrity, I feel like I could be mo- more okay with whatever the results are. And yet, I the sense I have is that things are not being done with integrity. The, the question there is how do you uh, how do you measure? But the feeling is is interesting, right? The regardless of, I mean, you might be referring to a national 
policy, but you might be referring to your neighbor's decisions about whether they're going to send their child to school or not. Sure. All these things have questions of, is this person acting in the public good? Are they acting in their personal good? Are those things aligned or not aligned? Are they acting? I think a lot of the question that we're often asking is, is this person acting in in service to me or to themselves or to both? And is it detrimental to me? And that's a, that's a question I see people asking themselves a lot lately is, is this thing that's happening, this tax policy, this uh, monetary policy, this health policy, this decision by my neighbor or someone in my community, is this good for me or bad for me? And one, it's hard to know because we don't know what the future looks like and we're, we're hurting for data, right? We don't know. Can we stay closed for a long time? Should we be opening? Can we, like, will, will, will we catch the virus from our children or not? Uh, what are the statistics on whether we can survive infection? Uh, how productive are we? We don't have any data or we're missing the data. It's very spotty. And that, that reminds me of entrepreneurs too, because you're often having to make a decision. You're always having to make decisions without good enough data. And there's real discomfort with having to make those decisions and having to have a feeling like that. Gosh, I just feel anxious because I don't know, I don't have a framework for how to make a decision. What does integrity mean in this moment? I think it means, are other people acting with my interests in mind? Are they considering the overall community or just themselves? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to know because we can't really measure their integrity because we don't really know what the framework is. And so we're just, we're just living in a time with very little data and it's hard to make out what is truth, as you pointed out, and that that's very anxious. It's hard to be relaxed. It, or people describe this as the the ground is shifting underneath me, or mm-hmm. or the goalposts are moving. Um, maybe going back to our rock, the the hill that we're pushing it up is undulating as we go and it's unpredictable. Um, There's an earthquake and the boulder's going to fall in a crevasse. (laughs) Yeah, that could happen, right? We won't be able to get the boulder out of the... (laughs) Maybe this hill is made of sand. There's so much anxiety. How do we... How do we give ourselves comfort and security when there's anxiety? And I guess... My thought is to come back to that same mantra. If we don't, you know, if we don't give it an experiment with high fidelity, we we won't know. Yeah, and and what comes to me too is that I brought I brought something like this up with my own coach that I was troubled by the the violent the local violence and stuff, and 
as he normally does, which is so awesome. He was like, he's like, yeah, but first you got to, he's like, you got to just do your own work first. He's like, if you don't take care of the violence in your own heart, you're never going to solve any of the external violence. Like, what whoa. a beautiful point. It, it, gets, yes. it gets to the idea that as we're reflecting on things that happen around us, that is a reflection of our discomfort inside with our own stuff. Yeah. And so the hope in terms of like, what do we do? Like you're, almost, you're like coaching me without even knowing it. It's like, keep doing my own work. And looking like look intern look inside for what I can continue to do as I work on myself, but it, while at the same time looking outward too. And how do you do that work, John? So let's say you know here I am, <laughs> and I'm just really worried that this I've got to make a decision about a name. I think the best name is OpenShift. I really need to look up what I think I have notes somewhere of what our other name candidates were because it would be hilarious now to look back at that. I vaguely remember seeing a list. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember any of the names. I don't even know if we could say them if we did, but yeah, I remember there being like the top five or something. Right. We definitely had other alternatives, right? And so we're making this decision and we're concerned that people are going to call it open shit. Which they did. And I mean, I, I remember that was always the typo that I was very careful not to make in any of the minutes or any of the social media posts. Or like, but, that was like that was one thing I was proud of. I never slipped up on that. <laughs> but so we're in that moment, though. We're making the decision, and I'm worried. I'm worried, and that worry is a reflection of. You know, the way I the way I experience that worry is I'm worried other people are gonna call it something. I'm worried other people are gonna think poorly of it. In your rubric, that worry in your coach's rubric, that worry is a reflection of my own worry about myself. Possibly, yeah. I mean and that's, so how do I yes. get into that moment and, and give myself a hand when I'm having that worry that this thing I'm working on when I when I launch it, it's not going to go right. <laughs> back, back to my coach. <laughs> you got two minutes here, John. Give me the really? answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one of the best, <laughs> one of the best, it's my fav- favorite two-word answer, which, again, my own coach uses on me sometimes, and I use it on myself, and it's actually kind of become a f- favorite phrase with my wife, too. So what? Ah, that's great. And I, the way I write it is, so period, what period? So what? Okay. It can be like a big punch in the face, and sometimes it's a it's a refreshing punch, and sometimes it's a punch that really makes you mad. But it it's kind of jarring, and it's kind of like, so what? Yeah, so what? Hmm. Okay. So they call it open shit. Then what? Yeah, so that, to me, brings up the idea of contemplate the alternatives, right? How bad could this be? What would happen? Yeah. So, okay, I'm worried that no one's going to use my platform. Or they're going to use it, but they're never going to do anything serious. So what? So then what would happen? What would I do? What would the team do? Yeah, and this can also be tied to the, to the, uh, the five what's or the five why's. 
which is you just you just keep stair stepping down. Okay, so nobody uses the platform. Then what? So what? Well, we yeah. would invest another X hundred thousand million dollars in it and see if we could make it work. Then what? So what? Well, it'd either work or it wouldn't. Then we would know. Yeah, and if it didn't, we would disband and we'd work on a different project and everybody would probably be fine. And in fact, I could even help people find another project to work on. And And that's what's funny or interesting about this particular exercise, because I have done it on myself, is we often make the leap from it's going to fail and that means I'm going to be homeless and living in my car if I even have a car. We, like you skip all the steps in between, but if you do all the steps, you never end up at I'm homeless and living in my car. Or you there's do, but much it's like so far. There's so many steps down the road right. that homeless and living in my car is like if you do it like 10 times. There's too many opportunities along the way to succeed for something wonderful to happen. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so what would be my first, that, that, I don't know. Whenever I'm coaching or in these moments, it's like whatever just like kind of comes to me. That's what came to me now. So, well, we should do that next time. <laughs> is, um, okay. So we're, we're, sh- we're shut down. Kids aren't in school. There's protests and yes, we're not fixing. Uh, and the government is rotten to the core and corrupt. The government is rotten to the core. We're we're <laughs> we're printing money. We're there's all these Wait. things. And what, what we should do is we should say, so what? So what? <laughs> so what's going to happen then? What's the worst? And then what would mm-hmm. happen? And then what would mm-hmm. happen? And just work through it. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. Send your questions, ideas, or a simple hello to podcast at johnpolster.com. Want to stay up to date on new episodes and receive notifications of upcoming events? Register your email address at johnpolster.com slash updates.